Hey, my name is Brian Golden. I'm the lead pastor of Centerpoint Church. And I just want to personally thank you for listening to our podcast. And I also want to invite you wherever you are around the country or in the Tampa Bay area to join our digital online campus at centerpointfl.org. And here's what you need to know. Our vision is to create an alternative to church as usual for all people. And all that means is, regardless of whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus, you're new to faith, you're investigating faith, or you don't even know what you believe, our goal is for you to feel like you belong, even if you never believe. And so thank you again for listening, and I hope today's message encourages you and helps you. Since a few weeks ago, I continue to encourage you. Our uh, 9 a.m. Is, is growing, but there's still a lot of room there. So if you're a longtime CCer, uh, you want to make the shift over the next couple weeks, that's amazing. Um, and if you're brand new and you wonder, do we have plans for the future around this and the fact that our buildings are filling up, we do. So um, with that said, we are so glad you're with us. You guys ready for part three of this series? <laughs> Seemed a tad half-hearted. Um, here's the big question, and this is somewhat of an obvious question, but don't answer it too quickly. And for some of you, you won't even understand why I'm bringing this um, to your attention. So if that's the case, that's actually really good. But do you think that God desires your happiness? Which is like an uh, easy answer. It's not an easy answer for everybody. In fact, one of the things that I think has been perpetuated in culture that is counter to that idea and actually in Christianity, in a lot of circles, but probably subtly and maybe not even meaning to it, is this idea that God doesn't desire our happiness. In fact, some of you grew up with the cliche of God wants you to be holy and happy. So if you're holy and miserable, you are in the center of God's will. Congratulations. Like, that's what God desires for life. But the reality is those two things are not mutually exclusive. And the thing is, when we kind of buy into that lie or that deceptive thinking, the reason it's a big deal is because you actually inadvertently can begin to undermine your own happiness. Because you get this idea of at some level, I gotta kinda take it into my own control and so I start moving things and making decisions and, and just thinking about things in ways that I've gotta try to figure out my own happiness and my own fulfillment. And that's a big deal because we've said in the series, just about every avoidable regret we've had came from a lie we believed. In, in a world like filled with misinformation, it's what we've looked at in this series, and you can go back and YouTube it or watch it um, online, but so much misinformation everywhere, algorithms that are feeding you stuff that confirm what you already believe, even if it's wrong. What, you know, what do we believe about the big questions of life? And the thing that like, I hate the most is watching people from a distance, and it's not like people don't do this to me too, like this is all of us, we have clear insight into others, but watching people like undermine and make decisions that sabotage their own future and their own happiness because they bought into the lie that God actually it can't be trusted with their happiness, that somehow God isn't for that, that God doesn't want that for them. And here's the thing we said in the series, like life has enough unavoidable regret. There's things that are going to happen you can't control. Let's not add to it. Like let's not, in this case, actively undermine our own happiness. So here's the thing, man. In this series, we're just talking about where do you find reliable information in a culture where there's so much misinformation, there's so many lies, so much stuff we're deceived over. How do you find information around life's biggest questions and really kind of the deepest desires and questions of your soul? Things like what is reality? We looked at week one. Last week, who am I? Because your identity and ultimately what you believe about you positively or negatively shapes your life. What you think about you determines what you do. And then next week, do not miss next week, I'm gonna land the plan on this series talking about how do you find freedom? Because there's a narrative in terms of culture or maybe the religion you grew up with that is counter to how you actually find it. But this week, I just wanna answer this question. 
That really is a big question. I mean, even if you're not asking it like this, you're asking it. How do I find happiness? Like, what makes me happy? What should I pursue at the end of the day that's gonna make me happy? And actually believing that God actually cares about that for your life. Now, here's the thing that makes this difficult. One of the big reasons that we end up undermining our own happiness and sabotaging ourselves a lot of times is because we don't understand the dynamic between these two things, pleasure and happiness. And if we understood the dynamic, things would change in our life. Like things would be different in our life. And by the way, as a side note, if you were to really think about happiness, happiness is almost always a who and not a what. Like if it ended up being what, we kind of talked about this last week, you're just asking the question, what else? Like, what can I upgrade? What can I get? You know, how can we, you know, um, maximize square footage? How can we chase another thing, more market share? It just becomes what else? But here's the thing. If what makes you happy starts to dissipate when something ages or depreciates, you actually weren't happy in the first place, right? But the thing about happiness, it's so relational. I mean, some of you know this. You went to another country and they didn't have any of the things that you have maybe. Mission trip, you, you know, when you're in junior high, uh, elementary school and you look at their life and go, they seem so much happier than me and they have way less. I mean, some of you, like if you're a parent, hopefully this isn't always true, but at some level you're only as happy as your unhappiest child. That's the thing. Um, others of you, like more seriously, you've walked through the hell of infertility and it kind of clarifies that in your mind. It's like, man, for me, it's all about who? It's all about relationship. I mean, nobody gets to the end of their life and has possessional regrets. I've done a lot of funerals, nobody. They always have relational regrets. So happiness is really about that. It's really highly relational. But the thing we don't understand in the dynamic of happiness is this tension between happiness and pleasure that ultimately leads us off the rails. And as we're gonna talk about in a few minutes, God actually designed us surprisingly to some of you for both and actually one stat for your life. So before I get there, I wanna look at something that Jesus said and it starts to kind of give clarity around all this and really clarity around what's working against us, which we've kind of talked about each week. And I wanna look at the second half of this verse. We've looked at the first half already, but here's the verse, the first half of this verse that we've already looked at earlier in the series where John writes this, Jesus' words in John 10, 10, the thief comes only to do what? And to do what? And to do what? And here's the thing, like let me, general application first. A thief is actually, like the context here, anybody that steals anything from you, anybody that steals stuff, that kills stuff in your life, that destroys things in your life, this could be general, it could be specific, and this could be, I mean, this could be a relationship that's killing and stealing and destroying. So like the general example is just any kind of thief that's threatening your life that is sabotaging your life. And here's what we've said that's not you know, super happy, but we just need to start there first. The reality for all of us, because we wanna blame everybody else, we wanna blame what they did to us, and I'm sure that there's legit stories in here. If I heard your stories, I'd be like, yes, you have every reason to like, just do what you're doing and live as a victim. Like seriously, I, I can't even understand. But for a lot of us, like we go and look at things that we kind of did ourselves, we chose them ourselves, and then we wanna blame everybody else, we wanna blame culture, it's so hard to live out my faith, it's so hard to you know, do whatever. But the reality is I am public enemy number one for my life. Like I just am, and maybe that's just me, so I'll go first. So you're like, well not me. I am public enemy number one for my life, where I will be my own thief sometimes, and I will listen to deceptive ideas and lies and I'll make decisions and lead me down a road that I don't wanna go. But my hunch is, the answer is the same for all of us. If I were to ask you who has the greatest potential to steal in terms of your life, to kill stuff in your life, to destroy things in your life, 
The answer is actually the same for all of us. It's whoever you're staring back at in the mirror. Like we have more potential to undermine us than anybody as we've said in this series. I am my own worst enemy. Like I shouldn't be concerned about everything out there or them or that person or that group or that individual. I need to be concerned with the deceptive thoughts and lies in my own head because that's what has gotten me into trouble more than anything else and more than anybody else. Like your own worst enemy. Now I promise this message will get happier, um, but you just have to stick with me to the very end. But come on, isn't this true if you're pushing back with me, at least for a lot of us, where you can look at things in your life to go, yeah, actually I was my own worst enemy. Like I look back to some of my greatest regrets, you were the common denominator in all of them, right? Like you were present for all of your greatest regrets. I was present for all of my greatest regrets and we all have them. Like if you were to look back, like you leased it and now you regret it. You bought it. You smoked it. You rolled it. (laughs) You drank it. You swiped right on it. Some of you, you dated it. Others of you without pointing fingers, you married it. Like, I don't know what, I don't know. Listen, I'm not saying you're in this room. I just, I don't know what your greatest regret is. But you've got that thing of like, if I were to look back, I was a common denominator. I was there for every single one of them. Like, I played a massive role. I am, in a lot of respects, my own worst enemy. And then the first thing that we do, if I can, and I'm just making fun of me. Um, I had a, a professor or a mentor actually years ago that said like, listen, if you just preach out of your weakness every single weekend, you'll never run out of material. <laughs> so I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying this is, this is a human thing. But immediately what we want to do generally is then blame somebody else, right? That's as old as Adam and Eve in the garden. God comes to Adam. And he's like, man, what's going on? And immediately, I mean, without hesitation or stuttering, Adam's like, it's the woman you gave me. <laughs> right? I mean, that's, and I love that, that statement, it was the woman, God, that you gave me, as if somehow it's Eve's fault, even though he, he was right there, went right behind her. And then somehow he's really implying that it's God's fault. Hey, God, the woman you gave me, if you wouldn't have put her in the garden, this wouldn't have happened. So really, in essence, God, all due respect, you and Eve should get together and talk about this and then come apologize to me. <laughs> it's why Jeremiah said this, um, the heart is hopelessly dark and deceitful. It's a puzzle that nobody can figure out. And have you felt that about your own life sometimes? Like, I can't figure me out. I don't know why I did that. I'm really committed to me. I'm really committed to my future and my happiness and things going well, and I undermined me. I sabotaged me. I got seduced by something or deceived by something, and I made a decision that wasn't best for me. And in a lot of cases, I took the legs out from under my own happiness, So that's why John says this extraordinary thing next, and this is the part of the verse we haven't looked at yet. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy, but here's the contrast. But I have come, this is Jesus, that they, us, you, I have come that they may have what? Life. And Jesus, I think, stops because he's not getting the reaction he wants, which is like preaching at 9 a.m. sometimes. Don't tell them that. (laughs) That's just land. Where it's just like, hey, hey, guys, you have a thief that wants to steal and to kill and destroy. I've come, and, and come, I'm Jesus. I don't know if you know it yet, but I'm, I'm doing some pretty incredible miracles. And eventually I'm gonna rise from the dead. You have every reason to trust me. I, I've come opposed to the thief to give you life. And they're like, yeah. And Jesus is like, I don't think you're getting it. So let me say it another way. I have come to give you life and life to the full. And I don't know if you're getting it either, but this is, that was Jesus' whole point. Like, I don't know if you're under, I love the KJV where it says, I have come to give you life and life more abundantly. And I just don't think it registers sometimes. 
I just don't think we believe that. I don't think I believe that sometimes. I love that in the Greek lexicon, it actually says this. I have come to give you a life. Just act like you can trust God for a second, even if you don't. Just act, what if this is true? I have come to give you a life that is not ordinarily encountered. What if that was Jesus' invitation? Like, what if that's real? Not that there's not going to be hard stuff. Aaron talked about it a few minutes ago. I mean, Jesus could not have been clear. The whole theology that says if you just give God one, he's gonna give 10 back, no. The whole idea that if you just obey, then God's gonna bless and it's gonna be pain-free, problem-free, uh-uh. If your theology causes you to have more faith than Jesus, your theology is probably wrong. Because Jesus had a ton of faith and it ended for him giving his life. So life is not kind of made up of everything works perfectly. Jesus promised in this world you're gonna have trouble. And honestly, we already know that. And so the whole theology, if you just believe enough then everything's gonna work out, it's just not true. God never said it. But this, that is not in contradiction to Jesus saying, yes, that's gonna happen. Yes, that's coming for you. Yes, that's true. Yes, you're gonna have those moments in life, but I have come to give you life to the full. A life that is not ordinarily encountered. And I just think we struggle to believe that. I mean, if you've been around the church and maybe grew up in the church, maybe they said this, but you didn't feel this, which is two different things, but you just have never felt that from God, I think that's our fault. I think that's the fault of the church. I think that this message needs to be a little bit more front and center. Yes, you're gonna experience hard times, and yes, you've been invited into life to the full. Yes, it's gonna be hard sometimes. It's gonna suck. Things are gonna hit the fan. And you have been invited into a life that is extraordinary and it is outside of what people generally encounter without God. Because the message of the historical Jesus was like, yeah, you're, you're gonna suffer. In fact, all of the people that were listening to Jesus' messages in the New Testament they suffered in ways we probably can't even imagine. I mean, this is a little bit over the top, so I'm not gonna even ask that we get you know, to this level or not, but I mean, Paul and Silas, they're in chains. They're imprisoned. They're in a dungeon. Dude, they're singing. This isn't the absence. This isn't like you know, mutually exclusive. It's both can happen at the same time. And the message of Jesus is you have a savior who loves you and cares for you, sees extraordinary potential in you, has a divine destiny for you. And he, whether you believe it or not, he has invited you to live a life that is different and it is not ordinarily encountered if you'll trust him. So the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy. Jesus says, I've come that they may have life and life to the full. And then John says this next, and I love this. Because this is not, let me just, I'm just gonna say this real plainly. This is not a message where I wanna get to the end and go, hey, you suck, do better. This is a message of here's where some of us are at, but what I'm hoping the spirit of God does in your heart is go, there is a better way. And Jesus is inviting you into that starting today. And so it's why John says this. Again, he writes Jesus' words, I'm the good shepherd. Like I'm not an average shepherd, but I didn't come to give you an average life. I'm a good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And the whole context in the New Testament, the whole context of the Old Testament, what it pointed to was the fact that God was gonna send his son Jesus on the planet earth. And when he sent his son, best description, he was gonna send his son to be a good shepherd. And a good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. And I'll tell you why it's a big deal for you. Because you have a savior. If you believe Jesus is who he says he is, he came to planet earth, 
lived a perfect life that we're not gonna match up to, we're not gonna measure up to, and so he lived the life that we couldn't, and then he went to the cross, and he paid the sacrifice and died for our dysfunction and sin, past, present, and future, and you hear me say it all the time, he walked out of a grave then to anchor the history that God has done something. It's not just faith in something ethereal, it's faith in the fact that God did something in history so the world would know, and so in that act, he is saying to the entire world as he breathes his last on the cross, I get your circumstances are gonna be bad. I get you're gonna be tempted to not believe this is true. I get you're gonna get into cultural majority thinking and you just live the way everybody else lives. You feel what everybody else feels. You're a victim like everybody else. But I'm telling you, I'm about to go to the cross and I'm about to die for you. And what that means is if you ever wonder throughout history personally, you have to know you have a savior who is for you because anybody who dies for you is for you. You wonder if I'm after your happiness. You wonder if I want your contentment. You wonder if there's good things on the other side of the sacrifice that doesn't feel worth it. All you gotta do, Jesus would say, is look to me because anybody who would give up their life for you is for you. Trust me as the good shepherd that wants to lead you into something better. That wants you to lead you into light, to a life that is not ordinarily encountered. But here's the thing, man. This is the other side note. Jesus was like, hey, I want you to know, I've got life to the full, life not ordinarily encountered. This is different. I want you to follow me into this, even if it's really bad right now. I want you to trust me, but I love you. And then also I'm comparing you to sheep. I care for you and have a great plan and also your sheep, which just, I don't know if you know anything about sheep. Um, some of you might know if you follow my wife on social media, we're hobby farmers, so we, we're pretty much experts now on <laughs> animals and raising goats and, and chickens, even though um, we bought a ton of chickens, and this is, I'll tell you, our level of expertise, and we just by surprise found out that uh, one of our chickens is a rooster this morning um, at 5.30 a.m. We didn't realize that, so uh, he is exiting the Golden Farm this afternoon and will not be coming back, so I don't know why I got off on that. My point is, that's a lie. We don't know much at all. Uh, we've killed more chickens than uh, we've kept alive. Uh, I really don't know where I was going with any of this. Other, I, no, I do, I do. No, what I was going to say is, I, I don't know much. I don't know anything about sheep other than, this was my point, other than sheep are dumb. That's, that was what I was going to say. Sheep are not smart. And, and so Jesus is like, I love you. I love you. Got a huge plan for you. You're kind of dumb. <laughs> like, I have an amazing plan for you. It's going to be incredible. Trust me as a good shepherd. You're kind of dumb. This is why you need me. And like anytime we push back, I'll just go back to what we said at the beginning. Like as we look at our greatest regrets and the fact that we were there for all of them, we're our common denominator. You leased it, you bought it, you swiped it, you booked it, you hit it, you dated it, you married it, you whatever, like all, you were there. And so Jesus is like, I think you already have enough proof with your own life. I have enough proof certainly in my own life. So he says to you, I want you to follow me. And I want you to believe that I'm a good shepherd and I'm for you. And then what you have to come to is the fact that, okay, so not only are we our own worst enemy a lot of times, which we are, we sabotage our own future, we have more potential to steal um, in terms of our future, kill relationships, destroy our life, but we're not our only enemy. And again, we've kind of unpacked this in the series, but all throughout the scripture and New Testament, it gives this entity of sin. And so not only is it us, but it's us believing some lies from the outside or this entity of sin and what the scripture describes sin as is sin always separates. Like that's the big kind of characteristic of sin. And maybe you don't believe in sin yet. You're listening via radio, like that's where you're gonna lose me. I get it. So for you, just define it as all of the stuff you know you haven't done where you've let yourself down. 
That stuff where you know you don't measure up. Scripture would call it sin. Like there's just stuff in us that's not right and sin always separates. This is why people look back at some of the regrets or you know, I look at certain things in my life and like how could I do that? I can't live with myself because sin even separates you from you. Or that idea of like sin breaking and fracturing relationships, sin separates relationships. Sin separates in terms of relationship with God, not that God goes anywhere, but just that feeling of, isn't it true sometimes like if you're in this, this guilt or shame, which by the way is not from God, you feel like you can't pray or you can't be close to God because sin separates. Sin makes you feel separated. And sin's only goal, just go with me for a second, is to steal, to kill, and to destroy And it's got an enemy behind it that we've looked at that wants to use lies and deceptive ideas and take sin and steal and kill and destroy. And then you're left holding the bag because you listened to the voice of the enemy around what was gonna make you happy and what was gonna fulfill and what was gonna lead you into life to full, only realizing you lied to me. Now you've left, you've left me with the consequences and this isn't what I wanted for my life. I undermined my own happiness. But here's the thing, you have an enemy within, you have an enemy without, and all of that is at play against us. But here's where a lot of you are. You're like, well, I already knew all that. I mean, even if you couldn't put it in those words, or you didn't know the verses, like all the stuff I described about just human nature and things we've done in our past, you're like, I knew that, all right, I come to church. You just spent 20 minutes telling me what I already know about my life. That's not really the question. The question is, why do we do that? The question is, why do we keep giving into that? The question is, why do we submit ourselves to that? And the dynamic comes down to what I started with, because we don't understand the relationship between pleasure and happiness and what God is inviting us into and the fact that God can be trusted. And I, just, I say this a lot, but I'm, I'm just gonna keep saying it. One of the great lies is that God is trying to withhold from us. I mean, one of the things that's leading to a lot of behaviors and bad decisions, and I can look at my own life, like one of the things with all the stuff I know and seminary degree and like I can point to all of the verses and it kind of doesn't matter. I can still listen to lies and deceive myself despite all of the evidence to the contrary that somehow God is holding out on me. That like Eve in the garden, like, are you sure God said that? Did God really say, like it's so easy to move to that place. But in the garden of Eden, which we talked about in week one, God created everything, perfect environment, life at its best for human flourishing and wholeness to go, I want you to experience pleasure. I want you to experience happiness. I, I want you to experience joy, contentment. I mean, kind of making fun of this, but I'm serious. Like, I mean, God created sex. God owns the patent on sex. I don't know how that went down. But he's like, hey guys, I got an idea. And this is gonna get them into a ton of trouble, but it's gonna be amazing, I'm telling you. Like that was God's, I know I'm making you uncomfortable for some reason, but that was God's idea. I don't know why we're so nervous about that. God created us for pleasure. God created everything in the garden to say, human flourishing, I want you to be entrepreneurial, I want you to build stuff, grow stuff. There was work before there was sin. I want you entertainment, culture, friendships, a sunset, stuff in your face with something, whatever it is. I want all of it to lead you to go, God is good and God can be trusted because everything that you enjoy in this life, I'm telling you, it has its shadow in the fact that God actually created it and manufactured it. But a lot of times we end up giving credit or worshiping the created thing rather than the creator. But God said, it's all from me. I created all of that. I manufactured all of that for your 
good and for my glory so that you would trust me, that you would follow me into this, that you would know that I'm able, and I may be going way too far into this and probably reading way too much, but I mean, even the first miracle, they're like, oh, should we heal people? Like, nah, let's make wine. <laughs> like even, that's a, that's a stretch, but like <laughs> everything you see, he, but he, here's where we go off the rails and I'm gonna go quickly and we don't understand this dynamic or really what would be prioritization of pleasure and happiness. And I heard all growing up, God wants your joy. No, he does. But Jesus actually taught a whole message called the Sermon on the Mount. And the original Greek talks about happy are those who, happy are those who, happy are those. And I get there are seasons you don't feel happy. There are seasons where all you can do is hold on and that's appropriate. There are dark nights of the soul. But I'm telling you, even if you can only receive it right now by faith, God has invited you into a life that is not ordinarily encountered. And the difference is the prioritization because God has created with a, us with a capacity for both pleasure and for happiness. But the problem is they're not mutually exclusive. It's when we prioritize pleasure over happiness, ultimately we get neither. It is all about what and who you're gonna trust because one leads to the other, but the other has the potential to undermine the one. That God, I think that actually maximum pleasure is found in this life by following fully Jesus and what he says about happiness and pleasure and prioritizing what he says is the priority. But when you begin to prioritize the pursuit of pleasure and ignore what Jesus says about happiness, ultimately you forfeit both. And come on, isn't it true some of us experienced that where then all of a sudden something that was pleasurable but it was misprioritized ends up becoming a prison for us? It ends up in some ways enslaving us it becomes, we're shackled to it. I mean, you could, a ton of examples, but isn't it true? Like there's a fine line between pleasure, 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 too much, pleasure, ple law of diminishing returns, like three seasons on Netflix and then they wanted to do a fourth and you're like, you ruined the entire show, right? Like it was one too many. We experienced that in life. Like one too many drinks, you ate one too many bites. Like what was pleasurable at 8 p.m., isn't it true? Not so pleasurable at 2 a.m.? Like law diminishing return. All of a sudden you get to the place where there's just, there's a line in what was pleasurable, isn't pleasurable. And we look at that with our life. Like there's one season where like this is everything and it is good. Like God again has designed us for pleasure. But if you misprioritize that in a season of your life and ignore what God says about happiness, the, honestly, all of a sudden the pleasure is not pleasurable anymore. The pleasure is a prison. The pleasure starts to enslave you. And so Paul comes along and he says it really simpler, simply to Jesus' followers in Rome. And he says this in Romans 6, 16. So let me just boil all this down for you, Paul would say. So don't you guys know? And they're like, no, we don't know. 2,000 years later, I think Paul to the culture is going, don't you guys know this? And then we don't know. Okay, then let me explain it to you. When you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves or to something as obedient slaves, and you're like, well, that's not us. And Paul's like, hang on. When you offer yourselves, basically just, I'll take one. Yes, I'll go, I'll do it, I'll buy it. Yes, I'll do it, I'll go, I'll buy it, I'll prioritize it. When you offer yourselves to someone or something as obedient slaves, you are, what's the word? Slaves of the one that you obey. And you're like, ah, oh, that's ridiculous. I don't, that's not my life, that's not our culture. That, and Paul's like, okay, just hang on a second. Because even something that's not immoral, it's not illegal, but we all know this. If you prioritize something 
you prioritize a pleasure where it's yes, 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 I'll have another, yes, 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 I'll return that, I'll go, I'll buy it, I'll give in, yes. You prioritize that pleasure long enough where now all of a sudden you have the sneaking suspicion that that pleasure is actually undermining some areas of your life where you want to be happy. Paul would say, actually, you are not choosing anymore. You have inadvertently, accidentally, become a slave to something that you think you're choosing, but it's undermining your own happiness and you become your own thief. And so Paul says, whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, because all sin kills stuff. Sin leads to spiritual, physical death, and sin just kills relationships. People have made bad decisions that have killed, maybe killed your marriage, kills reputation, kills market share, kills dreams for the future. I mean, sin just kills stuff. And he's like, you offer yourselves as obedient slaves, which leads to death or obedience. This is, the, this is the contrast. This is if you lean into Jesus, obedience to that which leads to what is it? Righteousness, which just means right standing with God, peace with God. And every day, and I, I don't, man, I don't, wanna, I don't wanna make this too heavy, but I just wanna go, I want you to go with me for, this, for just a minute because so much of what Jesus teaches is it's bad news on the front end. It's a little, it hurts a little bit on the front end. It's a little hard to hear on the front end. But Jesus' whole goal is, I have not invited you into this to wound you. I've invited you into this to give you life to the full. And so if you'll receive, Jesus would say, what I'm saying, I'm telling you, this isn't a moment to feel terrible about yourself or about it. Yeah, I need to do better. This is a moment to go, what you have wanted and what your soul has longed for, it is possible in Jesus. And every day you get up and you offer your body or your life in obedience to sin or to misprioritize pleasure, or you offer your life, your body, your decisions, what you're thinking about in terms of offering to your heavenly father who loves you. And Jesus would say it this way. What I'm asking you to do is I want you to follow me because I am a good shepherd and I know how to lead my sheep. And yes, you're dumb every once in a while, but it's why you need a savior. And I've promised to lead you into life to the full. Paul would say it this way, because all happiness really boils down to peace. Paul would say, when you begin to follow Jesus, when you say yes to your happiness first as Jesus defines it, which leads to everything else, you're gonna end up having peace with God. And I'm just telling you, if you ever like meet inspiring people at the end of their life, I'll tell you what makes them inspiring. It's not anything possessional. It's like these people feel so good with themselves. They feel like, man, they have a connection with God that I'm after in my life. Like I want that. There's peace with God. Peace with themselves. Not that they've gotten it perfect, but like peace with me. And it becomes the catalyst for peace with other people. And that is happiness. And Paul would say, as long as you're saying yes, 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 to a pleasure that is overrunning your happiness, you becoming an obedient slave to that thing and you're giving up both pleasure and happiness. In fact, Jesus would say it this way. If you sow in the right direction in terms of what Jesus is inviting you into, you'll reap both pleasure and happiness in your life. But come on, isn't this the problem? I mean, like, I think for all of us, is that when we feel, though, unhappy, we reach for something to feel better. 
and we end up giving ourselves to things that are undermining our unhappy. And I don't know what it is for you. Like it's a seven gallon, like cookies and cream ice cream that is jammed in your freezer. It's, that's the only example I can think of that I'm comfortable saying on stage, but like whatever, whatever your thing is, it's an Amazon addiction. It's I'm gonna say yes to that relationship again. It's I'm gonna go down that road or we're gonna keep upgrading until somehow we feel better and now you're in debt. I mean, like whatever the thing is, like you keep going, keep going, keep going. And Jesus is like, that's the problem. You don't feel it. And a lot of times we don't feel it and we start to blame, we start to look around, we start to give in. And he's like, in that moment, you reach for the thing that is kind of the self-medicating kind of formula for your life. And Paul would say, I know you wouldn't define it like this, but in that moment, you become a slave to that thing. And it's undermining you and it's undermining your happiness. And Jesus would say it like this, I'm better. I know you don't believe it. I know most of Christian culture doesn't believe it. And we've constantly received these messages that we believe that God's holding out, that we're missing out, that somehow I can follow Jesus over here and I want heaven when I die, but I don't know if I can trust him with all this stuff. And Jesus would say, no, no, are you kidding me? I died for you. I'm a good shepherd. I want your happiness. I want your pleasure. I want your joy. I want your contentment. I want you to follow me. And if you do, and if you take me seriously, There's the potential that you can begin to experience a life that is not ordinarily encountered in ways that you cannot even imagine because that's God's desire for your life. So let me end how we've kind of started and ended every one of these messages in the series with this question. What potential lies are you believing about your happiness? And I just wanna tell you, I, I know you don't think I get it, but I get it. And I get how seductive it is. And I get how hard it is to surrender certain things. I get how hard it is, as much as you know, to really believe, okay, but God, are you sure? What potential lies are you believing about your happiness and about your future? And actually, let me ask a question behind the question. Here's what I wanna say about this next question. Number one, don't answer this out loud. And you'd think that was a given, but sometimes it's not. And I don't want you to argue with me because I get you're gonna argue with, some of you argue with me in your mind all the time, which I, I welcome that, that's great, but not, not on this. Don't argue with me, just be honest. And you don't have to tell anybody, you don't have to, in fact, one of your pushbacks is, well, then I have to do something. No, you don't. I'm, I'm removing that from the table. I'm not even asking you to do anything today. I just want you to be honest because I don't want you to lie to you because only a thief would allow you to steal and to kill and destroy. Only a thief wouldn't want you to acknowledge this because this could be the clarity that you need for the future. So just answer this question because you, you might owe it to you to do it. And you might owe it to the people around you. And here's the second question. Is there a pleasure that is maybe slowly, subtly undermining your happiness? Is there a pleasure? And here's the thing, it might not even be sin. You can't find a verse. It, it's, not, it's not illegal. It's not immoral. It, to use Paul's language though, but it's just starting to master you. It's just starting to have more control than it should have. And you just have the sneaking suspicion that that thing that you can justify all day long and nobody's gonna call you on it might just be undermining your happiness. Is there a potential pleasure that is undermining your happiness? Is there a pleasure that if you keep saying yes, and this is a big deal, that it might actually undermine the happiness of the people that you love the most? Mom, why do you? Dad, why, why do you keep, you have a girlfriend and she keeps trying to bring it up and the last time she did it, you just went off the rails so she won't bring it up again. Or there's, a, there's like a question that the people closest to you know that they can't ask you. 
Is there a pleasure that is slowly undermining your happiness? And if you continue to say yes to that pleasure, you kind of become a thief. You're stealing what God wants to bring you and you're in opposition to Jesus' invitation as a good shepherd. Or then let me say it one more time in a different way as if that wasn't terrifyingly clear enough for us. Is there a pleasure that is slowly imprisoning you? And all of us are susceptible, right? Like I'm speaking out of my weakness. Nobody gets beyond this. But you just have the, the, the idea that I think some of my freedom is being lost because I continue to prioritize my pursuit of pleasure. And you kind of know the answer to the question. And for some of you, here's what I would say. And I'm going hard here, but I'm going hard because I've experienced this in my own life. And I know that Jesus wants something better for you. For some of you, the clarity you get from the answer to those questions, if you don't answer them or pay attention to this, you will want to come back to this day. And you will want to come back to this season and you will get down the road and recognize that what I was prioritizing was not what I wanted and I'm not happy. And in fact, I am my own worst enemy. And that's what I'm praying God would do in this moment. And I, in fact, do need a good shepherd to lead me and to guide me. And maybe you're already a follower of Jesus. We need to maybe re-surrender to the fact that I love you, I want heaven when I die, but there's just an aspect of my life that I'm not believing that you're good and I'm not following you and I'm not trusting you. And I just wanna trust you. And the moment you begin to move in that direction, it is possible that you could begin to trade this misguided pursuit of pleasure that I get it, man, it's strong. I don't know if I wanna do that with my kids. I don't, wanna, I don't know if I wanna give up that money. I don't know if I can give up that square footage. I don't know if I can give up that habit. It's strong, it's appealing. But maybe you give up that misguided pursuit of pleasure and you trade that in for the invitation to follow Jesus as the good shepherd who's offering you life. And life that is immeasurably more than you could ever ask, think, or imagine. It is possible in Jesus. And it'll, last thing I want to say, and I debated and debated and debated, but I just want to talk to guys for like 45 seconds. And the only reason I'm doing this is because I'm a guy. And I, so there's certain messages, I know how it hits us. So it's like, it's just one of those moments. I don't like to call out any individuals or groups. So this is just a, hey, I get it. I do this thing. So maybe this will help you. As guys, usually we hear stuff like this and we're not like, oh, that's not true. Usually our kind of modus operandi is like, I need to do better. I have to do something about that. I need to do better. I need to, I need to think about that. I need to care. And then somebody will ask us, like, you're right. I need to do better. I need to do better. And we know we're not going to do anything, right? It's just kind of disguised disobedience with a clear conscience. I'll just kick the can down the road long enough where I kind of feel better. I'll keep it at arm's length. I'll kind of deceive myself. Yeah, there'll, there'll be a day when I do that. And I've been saying that for 10 years. So it's just like, yeah, 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 I need to do better. And you know, you know you're not gonna do anything. And I just wanna encourage you as much as I can. And for some of you, this maybe this isn't for you, but for some of us, if you keep playing that game, you're gonna lose. And the people around you are gonna lose. And I don't think I'm overstating this, but those who are, you know, men that are maybe in a, in a father type role, or if you play that type of role, I think this could relate to a lot of people. In some cases, and then there's, I know there's way more to this than just my oversimplistic statement here, but to a big extent, you, if you're a parent, you hold the happiness of your kids in your hands in some ways. I mean, you have a lot of power. You hold the happiness in some cases of your future grandkids in your hands. And what you do now and what multi-generational stuff you decide to break now, I mean, it, 
For some of you, like you, your future spouse, like, like there, there's a lot at stake. Your happiness is at stake. And if you would surrender, and I get how hard it is, it might not just be a really good day for you. It might be a good day for a bunch of people around you. It might be a good day for the people who love you, who care for you, who are depending on you. And you have a good heavenly father who will come and punch you in the mouth as he did through the writings of John and Paul and then say, I love you. Set this down, surrender it, because don't get confused. I haven't come to just beat you over the head of like there's a pleasure that's overtaken and over-prioritized your life. I've come to just let you know I've got something better for you. I'll give you the power through the power of the Spirit of God to lay that down. I'll lead you into a better life. I'll break multi-generational bonds and happiness and peace and joy and contentment no matter how dysfunctional your life has been. It is possible for you and Jesus because I rose from the dead and I'm inviting you into that. And so Jesus would say, I want you to follow me as the good shepherd. And I want you to stop being the thief in your own life. And I want you to eliminate every other thieves that are speaking into your life and controlling your life. And I want you to follow me. And I love, I love this line from Craig Rochelle, that if you want the life that everybody else has, then do what everybody else does. And listen, we live in a culture where the cultural majority thinking is just stressed and overwhelmed and anxious out of our minds and just trying to survive and it's gonna suck, but we're gonna get through. And yeah, there's hard times. And yes, there's moments where we're just hanging on and you may be going through a dark night of the soul, maybe hell right now. I get all of that. Jesus promised that. But I'm telling you, there should be a distinctive in followers of Jesus who are going after Jesus, even in the midst of hard times, that we are leading a life that is uniquely different, that we are not languishing. We are growing in optimism. We are growing in hope. We are growing in vision and expectancy. We are believing God. We are trusting him even when it's hard. And we are believing that whatever he says about our life and our future, it is best. It is good. We're going to follow him. And that should be the distinction of Jesus followers in our culture. Not that everything's perfect, but those dudes walk through anything. And there is a joy on the other side and a happiness and a contentment and a peace that is just not ordinary. What is that? It's Jesus. It's what it means to follow Jesus. And so Rochelle would say, if you want the life everybody else has, do what everybody else does in our culture and just says that's normal. Jesus would say, I have more for you. And if you want what few people have, do what few people are willing to do. And if you prioritize pleasure over what God says about happiness, you will forfeit both. If you begin to follow the good shepherd and what he says about happiness, you ultimately will reap both. And so he says to you, I'm inviting you, if you'll believe me, I'm inviting you into abundant life, into life to the full. Follow me. You guys pray with me. Jesus, I get how this lands. I get how it lands with me. And so I just pray right now that you would, I pray this every week, that you would contextualize this You'd make it clear that everybody who's listening via radio or online in the room watching that they would get, I am standing arm in arm with them. Like we, this is just a human condition and we all need Jesus. And there's all, there's different times in our life where we struggle in different ways. But I pray that wherever we find ourselves right now, even if it's really bad, I pray that the prevailing emotion and feeling 
would be an invitation of extraordinary hope as they walk out of here today or they click off of this message that God, you are inviting them into something extraordinary, a life that is not ordinarily encountered and that we would begin to sow in that direction and just trust you. And so I pray that you would do your thing by the power of your spirit. And we pray all of this in Jesus' incredible name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this message or have been impacted by Centerpoint Church in any way, would you consider helping us out in one of two ways? First, if you would just spread the word, share this message with your friends, family. Maybe you could go rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher, but this helps us so much more than you know. And secondly, this ministry is supported by people like you through their financial generosity. And so if you've been impacted by any of these messages, would you consider giving to support the mission and vision of Centerpoint to see people reach with the radical grace of Jesus? You can give today on our website at centerpointfl.org. And again, that's centerpointfl.org.